Thank you, Greg, for leading us in service, and thank you for all of you that served with him and you, young men, for taking up the offering. Eli, would you turn these lights on for me, sir? Appreciate you all being here, as I've already said. Hope you have a Bible with you this morning, something preferably that you can open up and that you will join me in John chapter 2. John chapter 2. When you come in, there's always bulletins on those tables and and there's always notes that are on the back of that if you want to reference that during our time together in the Word. So John chapter 2 is where we're going to be at this morning. This Sunday on the calendar is always a unique Sunday. It's unique for several different reasons. The first thing is because I'm not a mother. Secondly, because I'm not a woman. And thirdly, because um, I am still at that young age that uh, many women still consider me to be this age of their children. So it's kind of in a precarious situation on a Mother's Day uh, Sunday and on a Mother's Day time, it's like, how do you come up and you say something to mothers that they haven't already heard? How do you say something about mothers that they have not already heard? And how do you come about this without saying, well, let me just rehash and refresh the same thing that we hear every single Sunday. So part of the uh, attitude is, well, we'll just talk about Mother's Day, recognize it's Mother's Day, but we'll just continue on through the reading and the studying of where we're at. So we just continue on through the book of Exodus. And yet there's some that come and say, we want to hear a word from the Lord about mothers, specifically about mothers. And so that's a challenge. And so some of you here, and you may say, well, I, you know, I, I know there's a, a good Mother's Day sermon somewhere in the Word of God. So this morning, I want to kind of step out of what often is my comfort zone and just going through the Word of God. And I, and I want us to be in a, in a passage of Scripture this morning that talks about moms. And I realize in this room there is a vast, a vast amount of experiences. A vast amount of experiences. And a vast amount of experiences. And a vast amount of experiences, backgrounds, impressions when it comes to mothers. So no way do I want to peel a scab back or dig up an axe or hit a nerve this morning. Brother, I want to look at from the Word of God what I have entitled this morning, Mom's Best Advice. Mom's best advice. Because regardless of my age and regardless of my gender and regardless of my position in life, one thing that is true about every single one of us in this room is that we all have a mother. Biologically, genetically, it is impossible for us to be here and not have a mother. So all of us have a unity in that that we all have a mother. And for the vast majority of us in this room, we have some type of relationship or history with our mother, and there has been something that our mother has told us that we liked, something that we didn't like, something that we listened to, something that we ignored. And there may be some people in this room that might be able to think back and go, you know what, my mother had an impact on me because of she said this or because she didn't say this. So as a church... And as a church that seeks to build families, and a church that seeks to teach the Bible, and a church that seeks to be the church, how can we encourage, how can we support, and how can we help exhort the mothers to be the kind of mothers that God would have them be? So what I want to do this morning is I want to look at the first miracle of Jesus, and I want to look at it from the lens of the best advice a mother 
can give. And maybe if you're in that stage of life that you are a mother, I would encourage you and I would put this before you that this is the best advice you can give your children. If you are not a mother yet, I would encourage you that if that time comes that this is the best advice you can give your children. If you are a male in the room and that cuts you out altogether, then I would encourage you to encourage and exhort the women, the mothers, all in your life that, hey, you can do a lot of good things, but this is the best thing you can do. So here in John chapter 2, we are coming in to the middle of the story. John, the disciple, the apostle, is writing this gospel known as the gospel of John. And coming here in chapter 2, we are kind of coming in as he has already set the stage. And he's already described to us in John chapter 1 who Jesus is and who Jesus was in our context and in our sense today. We see um, that he is uh, beginning his earthly ministry, if you will. But here in John chapter 2, he zeroes in on a setting. He zeroes in on an event. And it says in John chapter 2 and verse 1, and on the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples, and when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? Now, you may say, well, that's kind of a weird place to begin talking about mothers on Mother's Day. Well, let's just kind of set the context of where we're at. They are at a wedding is what the scripture tells us. And it tells that they, when Mary, the mother of Jesus, said they, we don't know who that is. We don't know if it was the family. We don't know if it was cousins. We don't know if it was close friends. We don't know the relation. But obviously, there was some kind of connection, some kind of friendship, some kind of relationship. Because there's a wedding going on. And in that culture and in that time, the weddings was a big community celebration. All the people in the town would come out and the family of both the bride and the groom would invite their friends and family and everybody and they would come to this week-long celebration and it was a great time to celebrate the union of this man and this woman. So somewhere there was a relationship that was connected. Mary is there. And then, in addition, Jesus is invited. And it says there in verse 2, he was invited to the wedding with his disciples. To this point, John has showed us that he has five guys that are, weren't, that are, that are being his disciples at this moment. You go look back in John chapter 1, and in verse 40, it talks about Andrew and another guy that many people think is probably John. Verse 41, we see where he calls Peter. Verse 43, he calls Philip. And verse 45, he calls Nathaniel. And so you have Jesus at this wedding. Five of his disciples at this point are with him. And as Jesus is there, the wedding is happening, and yet there is a circumstance, there is a problem, there is a situation that arose. It says in verse 3, when the wine ran out. And the reason why that matters is because in that context and in that day, the water, much of the water was polluted. It's kind of like I went to India several, several years ago on a mission trip and they said, do not drink the water. Because if you drink the water, your body will incur a change on the inside that will be manifest on the outside. Are we, are we tracking what I'm trying to get at here? Okay. All right. They talk about the same thing when you go down to South America or when you go down to Mexico. And they warn you, be careful. Do not go and drink the water because it will have a lasting effect upon your time 
walking upright, right? It, it will have a change. And so in that context, a lot of the water was contaminated. A lot of the water was polluted. And so they had this wine, and through the fermentation process, the bacteria, the bad stuff, would be um, not filtered out, but it would be eliminated. And so that wine they could drink, and it would not cause all kinds of innered problems. So you're at a big wedding. You're at a big feast. You're at a big gathering. You have all of these guests are together together, and they run out of wine. It was like if they'd shut off the water. They'd shut off, like in our vernacular, we had run out of sweet tea. <laughs> okay? Are you tracking with me? Okay? It's like we ran out of the red diamond sweet tea. And everybody's looking around going, what are we going to do now? Where are we going to get this from? And it not only would it be a giant embarrassment to the family that was putting on the event, it'd be a giant embarrassment to the husband and the wife, the, the young people. It would be an entire embarrassment to everybody because how in the world can you invite all these people here and then run out of one of the most basic elements of hospitality? So that is the setting, if you will, that John introduces us to here in the first couple of chapters in chapter 2. So Mary is there at the wedding. Jesus is there with his disciples. This is verse 1 and verse 2. Verse 3, the wine runs out. And I don't know why Mary, the mother of Jesus, why she was in charge of the wine. I don't know why she was in charge of the hospitality. The Bible doesn't tell us. But what the Bible does tell us is what does, G what does the mother of Mary, or mother of Jesus, Mary, what does she do? Verse 3, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. I want to key in on these next few verses during our time together this morning. Because in these few verses, I hope that you will see to me that what John gives us, yes, he's going to talk about the first miracle of Jesus. Yes, he's going to reveal who Jesus was and how Jesus works. But he also gives us a side picture, if you will, of the faith of Mary. In fact, you see there in your notes that I wanted to just enumerate a few of Mary's examples of faith. The first one I want you to see with me is that she knew who Jesus was. She knew who Jesus was. Where do you get that from, Spence? Well, there it says in verse 3, and when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me. Can you just imagine that Jesus is there, his disciples are there, Mary is no doubt helping with the hospitality, helping with the care, helping with everything else, and yet when there was a need, when a problem, when a circumstance, when something came up, where did she go? She went to Jesus. Why? Because she knew who Jesus was. Just think with me for a moment. You go all the way back to Luke in chapter 1 and verse 26, and there's an angel there's an angel by the name of Gabriel that comes to Mary and says, Mary, I want you to know that you are going to conceive a child in your womb. Supernaturally, you're going to conceive a child, and that child will be born to you, and it will grow up, and God will use that child to become the Savior of the world. She knew who Jesus was because Gabriel had told her. She also knew who Jesus was because she had seen it from birth. You think back to Luke chapter 2 and verse 19. And when the shepherds are there in the field and the angels come and they announce the birth of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus the Christ, it said the shepherds came and they marveled at the child. And it says there in the text of chapter 2 and verse 19 in the Gospel of Luke that she treasured up these things in her heart. I have no idea what it's like to raise a perfect child. I have no clue what it's like to look 
at a three-year-old baby Jesus and tell him to do something and him say, yes, father. <laughs> yes, mother. I would love to do that. I have no idea what it is to look like, what it is to look at a baby Jesus and to watch them playing with a toy and a sibling comes up and takes the toy and baby Jesus goes, oh, you can have the toy. I have no clue what it's like. And yet Mary, Mary, you think about this. Mary was there from the very birth. It says in Luke 2 and 19, she treasured up these things in her heart. The angel Gabriel had told her, this Jesus, you're going to conceive. This is who he's going to be. But you can imagine her going, well, I'm not really sure how that's going to happen. I'm not really sure how that's going to take place. And yet day after day after day, she saw a perfect person living out, walking out, obedience. To God. You fast forward from Luke chapter 2 and you get over to Luke chapter 2 and verse 51 and it gives us this picture. Jesus was about 12 years old. They go to Jerusalem for the time of the, the, the celebration, for the time of the ceremonies. And when the family leaves, Jesus stays behind. He's at the temple teaching the adults about the things of God. And it says that Mary and Joseph got away. They realize that Jesus wasn't with them. They go back and they get him and they say, what are you doing? And he's like, did you not know I was supposed to be at my father's house? And then he submitted to them. He came with them. And it says the same language in chapter 2 and verse 51 that Mary treasured these things in her heart. What am I trying to tell you this morning, church? I'm trying to tell you that Mary knew that he was God's son. So when Mary goes to Jesus and says they have no wine, she goes to Jesus because she knows who Jesus is. Now, we're reading it in this context, so I worded it as she knew who Jesus was in the past tense because this happened historically in the past. But she knew who Jesus was was. And so she had been told by the angel. She had experienced it from his birth all the way now to in his mid-30s. She knew that this was God's son. So when she goes to him, she knows who she is going to. And it's so vital. It's so vital that we as parents teach our children who Jesus is. It is so important that we as parents show the world, show our families, show those watching who Jesus is. Mary revealed her faith to everybody there at the wedding by her response. When the wine ran out, she didn't run to the groom and say, hey, buddy, you didn't plan. She didn't run to the family and say, hey, what are you going to do now? She didn't run down to the market to buy more. She went to Jesus because she knew who Jesus was. Then notice the second part there in verse 4. How does Jesus respond? <laughs> he says, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, there's been a lot of ink spilled on paper, put on paper, discussing about exactly what Jesus had in mind. I'm just going to give you the quick rundown through the version of Spence, the paraphrase of Spence. Not only did Mary know who Jesus was, but Mary know but Mary knew who Jesus would be. Mary knew who Jesus would be. He comes, she comes to him and says they do not have any wine. He looks at her and says, I don't know why you're coming to me. My hour has not yet come. He's speaking about the time when he reveals himself as the Messiah, the time that he follows the will of God to live out this ministry for three to four years, the time that he is going to be crucified, the time he's going to be put in the grave, the time he's going to be resurrected, the time he's going to spend on this earth before he ascends back to the right hand of the Father. All 
of these things are coming about. And he looks at his mother and says, it is not time yet for me to reveal myself to a public of who I am. But both Jesus knew who he was and Mary knew who he was. And not just that she knew who he was, but she knew who he would be. It's not just enough to know a person. But do you know who the person is going to be? One of the things that I think sometimes Satan tries to veil my eyes about is I look at these young children and I just assume they're going to be young for the rest of their lives. And they're not. They're not. I was speaking yesterday to Evan Green's younger brother. And I was telling him yesterday that whenever I moved off and I left high school and I moved off, Evan was the age of Hayden. And I said, then all of a sudden I moved back and Evan is no longer Hayden. And it's just in a matter of 10 or 15 years. And we look around this room and we see these young people and we just say, hey, these young people are young. And then we'll blink and then we'll skip and then it will just be over just like that. And we do not ever think about what they will be. We think about what they are and who they are today. But do we realize that every single young person under the age of 18 in this room is going to be an adult very, very soon? See, Mary knew who Jesus was and she knew who Jesus would be. So she comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, not only do I know who you are, but I know who you are going to be. And I'm asking you to do what you are going to do. You see, Mary had some insight. Because she knew who Jesus was and she knew what he would be. She knew that he was sent by God. And not only was he sent by God, but he'd be used by God. And eventually he would be the savior of the world. So because Mary knew Jesus. And because Mary knew who Jesus was. Mary was able to come and to say, we need And I think there's so many times that we as a church have an opportunity to encourage our mothers. We have an opportunity to encourage the women around us. Because we have no idea what God is going to do in the lives of the people in this room. You have no idea what God is going to do with the life of your young person. You have no idea what, idea what God is going to do with the life of your child. You have no idea what the, God is going to do with the life of your son or the life of your daughter. You have no idea what God is going to do with your life. But if you know who Jesus is and you know what he will do, then you have no idea what God may be doing with the seeds or the things that you and I are doing today. She revealed her faith in the hope of who he was. And then, and then... Listen to verse 5. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. The best advice a mom can give is to look at the people around her and to point to Jesus and to say, Do whatever he tells you. 
the best advice you can give to your children, the best advice you can give to your family, the best advice you can give to your husband, the best advice you can give to your coworkers, the best advice you can give to your friends, the best advice you can give your neighbors, the best advice you can give to a world that needs Jesus is to look at those around you, to look at those you love, and to point and say, do whatever he tells you. So what does Mary do? Mary is looking at their servants, so she has this conversation with Jesus because she knew who Jesus was, and she knew who Jesus would be, and she also knew what Jesus could do. Why did she come to Jesus? Why is she approaching Jesus? Not because, well, that's my son, or because he's responsible, or because he's the one that brought the, four, the five extra guys that ended up drinking all the wine. No, she knew who he was, she knew who he would be, and she knew what he could do. And so you see here in the text that Mary comes and she looks at the people around her and says, do whatever he tells you. See, she understood that Jesus could reveal the supernatural. The Bible tells us here in John chapter 2 that this is the first, this is the first miracle that Jesus performs. And after that, there is a whole bunch more that happened. Just think about him. At one point in time, he walks on water. And not just that, but at one point in time when he's walking on water, he tells someone else to walk on water, and they don't walk on water. And then at one point, he takes just a little bigger, meager ration, a lunch that is prepared for a small boy, and feeds over 5,000 people. Another time, he takes the same lunch made for a little boy and feeds 4,000 people. He raises his people from the dead. He heals the lame. He heals the demon-possessed. He does all of these things, all of these supernatural miracles that Jesus can do. And Mary knew, Mary knew what he could do. She could, he could reveal the supernatural, and not just that, but he could imagine the unimaginable. So she didn't know what he was going to do. The text doesn't tell us that Mary knew that her and Jesus had had this conversation. And she had texted Jesus and go, you know what? I don't know if they have enough wine. There's so many people here. What are we going to do? And Jesus texts it back and goes, oh, don't worry about it, Mama. I got it handled. We don't have any indication that happened. We don't have any indication they go and they, and they, and they prepare an idea. Well, what are you going to do in this situation? It's just she knew, she knew that whatever the problem was, that Jesus could address it. Whatever the problem was, that she knew what the answer was. And in any problem, and in every problem, it is still the same thing today. The answer is Jesus. So what did she do? She knew who he was. She knew what he would be. And she knew what he could do. And so she goes to Jesus. She doesn't say, how are you going to provide more wine? She doesn't go and say, will you provide more wine? She says, we need more wine. Wine, and they knew that Jesus could imagine the unimaginable. So listen to how the thing goes. Verse 6. Now, we're not going to key in on this, and we're, this isn't the main focus. The main focus is Mary in, this, in our time together this morning. But listen to how Jesus does this. Verse 6. Now, there's six stone jars, or six, six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each one holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the water, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they, they took it, and when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of the signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So Mary comes to Jesus. She said, they don't have a wine. We need wine. She came to Jesus because she knew who he was, she knew who he would be, and because she knew what he could do. 
And she comes to him and says, please help. So Jesus steps into the story in verse 6, says, take the six jars, fill them up to water, fill them up with water. You would have anywhere between 120 and 180 gallons of water. And then it wasn't that Jesus came and did some voila, added some little additive to it, sprinkled something in it, shook it up, didn't do anything. He just said, fill it up. They filled it up. And he said, now take some of that and take it. And all of a sudden, the miracle happened. Did the miracle happen when they filled the jars up or when they pulled the water out? I don't know. I don't know. But what is unmistakable and undeniable is at some point that water went from dirty, corrupted, harmful substance to what the master of the ceremonies of the wedding said was the best wine they'd had all week. And here's the lesson I think that you and I can lean into here this morning. Mary knew Mary knew what Jesus could do. She knew that he could imagine the unmanageable, but then also follow this, that Jesus could change people. Jesus could change people. Why do I know that? Why do I know that? Because Jesus, during his earthly ministry, he didn't just mess with water into wine. He didn't just take demons and put them into pigs and run them off a cliff. Jesus changed people. So when Mary is looking at those around her, she is pointing them to Jesus and says, do whatever he tells you. Why? Because she knows who he is. She knows who he will be. She knows what he can be. And she is saying, he is the answer and the best advice a mother could ever give to her husband or to her children or to the people around her is to say do whatever he tells you and so somewhere in the somewhere in this interchange or this exchange a miracle happens and a family goes from being embarrassed to now having relief because the provision has been given Somewhere along the line, the bride and groom come from saying, that was an amazing ceremony, an awesome time, we have such good memories, to saying, oh no, this whole thing is ruined, to back saying, praise the Lord. Somewhere in the midst of this, there was a series of disciples. We know that the Bible says there is five disciples, and they, and they know that Jesus, they, they, they think they know who Jesus is. They got an idea, like, 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 like if you think back to Andrew and maybe John, they were there with John the Baptist, and John the Baptist said, hey, hey, that guy, that guy is the Messiah. They come, but they're not really sure. They have questions, and they have doubts. And yet, right after the text, it tells us in verse 11, and his disciples believed in him. You see, this whole thing is meant to be able to be a teaching moment to remind us that this Jesus is not Jesus because he says he's Jesus. He's Jesus because he is Jesus. There's a difference in someone saying they're something and being something. So here, Mary points. She points to Jesus. And she says, because I know who he is and because I know what he will do and because I know what he can do, I can point people to him. So here you are this morning. We're sitting here in May of 2023. Because of the way the calendar works out, we are thinking about mothers. We think about what it means to be a mother. We think about how grateful we are for the mothers that we have. We think about what we can do nice for our mothers. And we think of a way that we can honor our mothers. So as we come to this text, and Mary kind of gives us this picture the best advice that a mother can give those around her. That's Mary's 
story. And that's who Jesus is to her. So I want to take that from talking about Mary and Jesus, and I want to just pry in your life just for a moment. And I want to ask you, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? You see, if you're to go back into the story here that John is recording in John chapter 2, it was very clear who Jesus was to Mary. And by the time you get to the last part of verse 11, it is very clear who Jesus is to the disciples. And if you can just imagine that you're one of the servants and you had filled up 120 to 180 gallons of water in these pots and you had filled them up. And Jesus is sitting over off to the side and Jesus says, fill them up. And you fill them up. And you're thinking he's going to get up. He's going to walk over here. He's going to do something. Something's going to happen. He's going to take his magic wand out and do something. I mean, something's going to take place. But as you fill them up and you look over at Jesus, like, all right, we've done it. And he says, now draw some out and take it to the master. And you're like, He did it without even touching it. He did it without even adding something to it. He did it without even taking something away from it. And so you have the servants, and the servants are looking at him like, "Uh, yeah, okay, that is something different about that person because we just saw what he did. There is something different about the master of ceremonies that all of a sudden now gets the wine. He tastes the wine. He's like, where did this come from? Why are you just now bringing it out? They're like, well, sir, you don't understand. See, that water actually came from the cattle trough that we just put in these jars, and all of a sudden it came out, and it was this. There was a whole lot of people that because of what Jesus did, who Jesus was to them, changed. The Bible tells us that God loved you so much. That he loved you so much that he knew that you needed saving. Because the Bible tells us that because of our sins, we are separated from God. And because of our sins, and the penalty for that sin is hell. That because we sin against God, our fate, our judgment, is separation from God for eternity. But God loves us so much, he said, I will find a way so that I might redeem these people to myself. So he sent Jesus. Jesus came. He lived a sinless life. He died a death that we deserve to die. He died on a cross, took the place of me and you, and he took that place so he could pay that price so that we might have the opportunity to be forgiven. So would we know who Jesus is and we know what Jesus has done and we know what Jesus can do, then the question for us this morning is then, is who, who is Jesus to you? Let me give you a couple of ideas. Is he a story? Is he a story you sit in Sunday school and you listen to? Is he a story that you hear people talk about? Is he a story that you read about in a children's book? Is he a story that you've heard family and friends talk about? Is he just a story? Or is he a mystery? You don't know how he lived a sinless life. You don't know how he was able to pay the price for all of our sins. You don't know how he did this. You don't know exactly how he changes us. You don't know how this all happens. And you kind of have an idea, but you've never decided to repent and turn to him. You're still on the fence. You're not really sure. You're like, I know he's there, but I'm not really sure how he works. I'm not really sure how all of this happens. And then even if I go to him, what is he going to ask me to do? And there's all these questions that you have and all this mystery about how does Jesus work and how does Jesus do it. So he might be a story might be a mystery. Maybe for some of you this morning, he is Lord. That word Lord doesn't fully encapsulate everything that is in mind when you talk about Jesus. 
You could, word, you, you could use words like master, owner, boss, director, commander, authority, hope, redemption, forgiveness, salvation, sustainer, redeemer, God's only son, your and my only hope. Who is Jesus to you? Mary's at the wedding. A great need arose. Circumstances looked bleak. Mary turns to Jesus because of who Jesus was to her. My prayer and my hope is as we think about our lives and the days which we're in, that we would have the same view of Jesus that Mary did. And that it would not just be the mothers in this room, but it would be all of us in this room. That when trouble comes, and it will. And when pain comes, and it will. And when problems arise, and they will. And we don't have the answers, and it will. And when we're confused about which way to turn, and it will. And we are out of ideas, and we will be. That we'll look at those around us, and we will tell ourselves, do whatever he tells you. Is that the Jesus for you? Will you bow your heads with me?